0: It's Friday, September 13th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 523 of Fear the Boot, the show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. The time for this episode is 58 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. And my name is Chad. And I'm Dale. All right, so we're going to hop right into it. Nothing too exciting to talk about today. For announcements, I mean. I, I hope <laughs> our topic is exciting. Right. But, I mean, we have no particularly exciting He's announcements. the worst salesman ever. Yeah, I know. I lead off with, so... I don't have a great car. <laughs> I, I mean, mine personally, not You're the right. one I'm selling. Yeah. There's tons of great cars on the lot. I mean, it has four wheels, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Maybe. This, Last quote, time we checked. To quote the old Garfield comic. Well, this baby I do actually have
1: one announcement, oh, though. Oh, do you? Yes, yes. The DOG is pretty darn cool. Okay, yeah. Charlie's... I you know, I didn't want to say his name just in case he got riled up, but I
0: just wanted to say that just for the audience. Yeah, he has calmed down. That is one of the things. See, one of the few things that has really changed as far as the show goes in my life post-divorce is it used to be that when we recorded this podcast or the AP or anything we were doing, that Carla would entertain the pets. And so they weren't in the room and all that kind of stuff. And I, I could even close them out of the room. And as long as they could be with each other and be with her, that was close enough to a pack that they were happy. But now that it's just me and Charlie, I don't have the other dogs and there's no other person living here. Then I have to keep them in the room with me. Cause if like, if I lock them out of the room, he'll just scratch at the door and whine and cry and go nuts. But when I let him in here, I mean, fortunately he's not super noisy but for you guys wondering why there's this constant <laughs> background clunking and jingling and occasional panting, it's because I don't have anyone to babysit my dog. So maybe we should make that a milestone goal on <laughs> a our, dog, pa- sitter, our a Patreon. dog sitter. Yeah, that if, if we get back, I don't know what a dog sitter even costs, but like if we get another 100 or $200 on Patreon, we'll get a dog sitter. <laughs> so. But then who would lick my entire right arm? <laughs> Well, your we can, arm, I'm looking at your arm now. It is wet. I yes, see it is wet. We gross. throw in another hundred or two hundred a month for I mean, the world's most desperate hooker.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Wayne's not going to want to lick my arm. <laughs> uh, says you. I mean, not okay, I don't want to. Do. I don't want Wayne to lick my arm. How's You've that? not known Wayne as long as we have.
0: Wayne is desperate and depraved. He's got a video for you. I think Larry would get jealous. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's funny that we that's sticking now. That. <laughs> Your wife's name is Larry. We're just going. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Well, if if she comes to Fear the Con, he no them. No, it's a she, but her name is Larry. Right? It's it's a boy named Sue, sort of thing. Okay. So when she comes to the 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 beer, when she comes to Fear the Con, we're going to get her a name badge that says Larry, and (laughs) people will know who Larry is. All right, so today's topic, we do have an interesting topic. I just have nothing interesting to cover on the way there, is I got a question on Discord, and I'm going to credit the question to the correct person when I get to it in full, all right? Now, this person hit me up. By now, it's probably been about a month and a half, and the reason I have not responded to you, good sir, is not because... I am incensed by your question or too good to talk to you. It's because you asked me a question to which there is no small answer. And I instead want to unpack it over time. And I think there's going to be a big hit of maybe a two or three part episode where I really talk about it in detail. But to talk about it, I need to be able to dissect the Skies of Glass game in ways that I can't do mid-campaign. Because I can't talk about what I'm doing behind the scenes where I'm going with things while people are still playing it and still consuming it as entertainment. But the question this gentleman asked me on Discord was he was asking me sort of what is my methodology for GMing? How does the nuts and bolts of one of Dan's games work? And I know we've talked about this in parts over the years of doing the show. Just as all of us, well except Dale because you're too new, have talked about how we GM in parts, because those are the show topics. But I want to dissect this in detail. Once again, just not yet. And I, I will credit the correct person when we get to it. But there is one thing that fits into this that I can talk about that is affecting the Skies of Glass game. And it came to mind, not because of the Skies of Glass game, but because of a video game I'm playing right now. And what I want to talk about today is the pacing of information. Because one of the hallmarks of how I GM is that I like really deep, intricate plots. I like these big, long campaigns. I like the long bomb sort of plays where I'll foreshadow something in the first game or two, the depth of which may not fully come out until a year or two later, literally a year or two later. And there is an art to doing that. I got to thinking about this last night, so I've picked up No Man's Sky. All right, When the game came out, it was a total disaster. It was boring, it was a gigantic empty universe, it was lacking features, it was just a total disaster. But I have to give credit to Hello Games, which is the company that makes No Man's Sky, because rather than just laugh that off and take everyone's money and skip into the sunset, you know, Todd Howard style... (laughs) They instead have spent the past three years fixing the game, expanding it, and I mean massively expanding it. They have dropped three or four full major expansions, none of which are paid. These are all free DLCs that are huge content patches that have added so much stuff, Alien Societies whole new aspects of exploration, whole new economy. You have the ability now to do things like manage fleets of capital ships. You can contract other capital ships through aliens. There is so much stuff you can do in this game. I mean, it is staggering and they did this all. I mean, yes, they've included some like cosmetic optional microtransaction stuff, no pay to win kind of Mm -hmm. stuff, but they have done this more or less on their own dime. To fix this game and so when the steam sale came out this past summer no man's sky was like 66 percent off or something ridiculous <laughs> like that so i'm like what the heck i, I put it in queue didn't play mm-hmm. it played through subnautica another really great vr game no man's sky's vr it is now. It, was, optional it, VR. it is optional VR, like Subnautica. You can play Subnautica. These are both survival, builder, exploration mm-hmm. genre-type games. Kind of the post-Minecraft, not Voxels, more realistic-looking kinds of games. Both really great games. And I've been playing them in VR. Played Subnautica, loved it, and switched over to No Man's Sky since I had it sitting there. And what I noticed as I'm playing the game, and I'm loving it, all right, So this is not a bash on the game. I'm just going to nitpick one aspect of it. And No Man's Sky is not the first intellectual property I've seen do this. They have a big mystery they want to unveil. They want to reveal this through the course of the game. And they don't want to rush to the finish line. They want to keep you intrigued. They don't want to tell you too much too fast. And the way they're doing this is by having NPCs who are 100% in the know, who, by all rights, ought to be telling you this information. They're on your side. They see things your way. They want you to succeed. But they only speak in vagaries and circular riddles. And you know, kind of touch mm-hmm. the side of their nose and nod and wink at you and give you nothing meaningful. And if this was a role-playing game, my answer would be, okay, can I roll intimidate or persuasion if not, I'm taking out the pliers and we're going to torture porn. This is just frustrating. It is obnoxious. It is horrible. I- I'm trying to curb my profanity, <laughs> all right? It is enraging. Un- and this is not something that by any stretch of the imagination is new. I remember playing the Baldur's Gate games, and in one of them, Elminster stops by, and he says some, you know, because he's he knows everything because he's a god-level... GMPC that's stuffed into fiction and has no place there. And he just says some nod and wink sort of BS and you can actually have a fourth wall breaking moment where you literally threaten to stuff his hat up his ass if he doesn't explain Hmm. it to you. Now, even if you do that, and holy crap is it cathartic to click that Hmm. option, he still doesn't explain it to you. Hmm. Seriously? Seriously.
2: Because there's nothing to explain.
0: No, there is. Well,
2: by that point in the Development cycle of the game, there had
0: been nothing to explain. They didn't know yet. Okay, that that's wholly possible. I'll let me take a different one, which I don't think did this nearly as badly, but might illustrate the point you're making, which is the Mass Effect series. In Mass Effect One, they had a loose idea for a plot. It was mostly a setting. If you read any of the stuff they wrote about developing it, they tell you this very Mm. openly. That there was more of a setting than a plot. Cerberus, for example, was not going to be a major factor until they started writing Game 2 and decided to make Cerberus the crux of the game. As, what was the guy's name? Mac Waters, Mac Walters, something of that effect. The guy who was writing Mass Effect before he left the company and Casey Hudson took it over. Uh, He even laid out what the plot was that he had in mind for Mass Effect 3, which was very different than the Mass Effect 3 that got released. But he said up and down left, right, front, and center, before he said, here was my idea for the plot, he's like, this was never going to be published, because that's not how storytelling or game dev works. Mm-hmm. He's like, there was going to be changes and rewrites and staff meetings, and we were recording to record things and find out they didn't work, and then recut them and whatever, and on and on and on. But he did give a loose concept kind of what they had in mind. But one of the things he talked about was how fluid the story was, even as the ship was at water, you know, even when the boat was sailing, they were still marking things up. Mm -hmm. Uh, now his plot was even on napkin math, still a lot better than Mm -hmm. the one they released, but you know, whatever, what you're going to do. But I found this frustrating and I have seen this in role playing games and I have done this in role playing games. And in the past, in particular, this is something I've gotten better about. But it wasn't until the past couple of days I started trying to deconstruct, how did I get better? You know, what did I improve? I've done the exact same thing, where I have tried to draw out the long bomb plot by hiding behind ambiguity and vagaries and the unwillingness of NPCs to give any information for no reason other than some smug crap like you have to find it out on your own, or I get it, why don't you? You There there was no delivery to Mm -hmm. it until the very
1: end when it all came out at once. So to contrast that, I played a video game, still one of my favorites, despite the fact it's terrible, Freelancer. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm a freelancer. (laughs) Yeah, it had a storyline throughout the whole game where aliens had taken over the equivalent of Germany, the space Germany, and they were trying to move through the other space nations. (laughs) Spatians. Sure, we'll go with that. Spatians. You were just some random guy who happened to find some piece. You start off just trying to get paid for a job you did, and you go through the entire thing. Learning more and more as you go. But every person you encounter knows only slightly more than you. And the, whenever they tell you something, all it does is raise more questions. Yeah. That's the way I prefer, you know, not the smuggery that, yes. uh, that you were talking about. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, and there were a couple exceptions I wanted to throw in here that I think are ways of pumping the brakes, to use a chatism <laughs> correctly, which is, I think it is totally fair. To have NPCs that either one, they themselves don't know. You know, they're as limited or as ignorant as you are, maybe even more so. It's a potato farmer and you want to know about the dragon that lives up on the hill. He doesn't know a damn thing about it. If he knew it was there, he would move his potato farm. Secondly, they're misinformed. They think they know, but they don't. That's a classic. they're, They're just incorrect. Or third... They are antagonists. Of course, the bad guy is not going to tell you everything or someone who wants to see you fail. Maybe they're not a bad guy, but they're a rival or something Mm -hmm. like that. And they're not going to tell you everything. And those are fine. I think what bothers me so much about the smug PC, the one who's on your side, who knows it, who could lay it out and won't is it just feels frustrating At the metagame level, because I as the player can intuit that my character at this point ought to be receiving information, and I'm not. And the only reason I'm not is because the GM has decided at the metagame or table level that it's not the appropriate time yet for me to have that information, not because there is any even veneer of an organic reason in the world or in the story for this to be withheld. I think that's where I run into the problem with it as a game master.
2: Most players don't like not knowing something. And it could be for a variety of reasons. Everything from simple, innocent curiosity to knowledge is power and I'm empowering my character to all points in between. And where I run into it as a game master is that the players want all the information now. They want all the information from the potato farmer. They want all the information from the dragon. They want all the information from the king. They want all the information from the bad guy. And for me, it's a matter of content. I'm running this game for two years, right? Like I've got, and we are in game three. We've got a long road ahead of us. So putting the question to every single bookstore owner, blacksmith, king, guard, whatever, I mean... I appreciate the enthusiasm, but look at it as kind of commerce too. to me on the metagame level. It's commerce. It is. I need you to jump through some hoops to earn the information, because ultimately that's the game doing things, achieving things, doing things, achieving things. That's the pulse of the game on an in game level. When you're playing your characters, I get it. I get the frustration because I've played characters and I've been there, too in character in game, yeah, these are your friends. Let, let's get rid of the dragon and the potato farmer and go the middle road here. These people are friends or allies or at least vaguely not against you or on your side or don't have really reason to to go against it. So the logic behind it is, Dan, if I come to you and let's say there is a person out there that we know that wants to hurt me yeah that wants to hurt me and my family, They haven't made any specific threats, so we can't exactly call the cops and get a get a restraining order. And I don't know who these this person is. I'm getting letters written in blood. Yeah. And the it's P S Dan knows sort of thing. And I go to you and I'm like, Dan, what's going on? They're coming
0: after me and my family. And you're like, I I just touch my My nose nose. like Thanksgiving will never be the same. Ooh. And I just dance off down the hallway. In real life. That's unacceptable. Yeah, I mean it, it's beyond
2: unacceptable. It is a betrayal. It's yeah. a betrayal of trust. You would never do that, and that's how you play your characters. That's the mindset you get into your characters. That's how you should play your characters. But from a storytelling standpoint, let's let's draw it back a little bit. I have two years. Yeah, <laughs> we
0: are in game well, three. See, all right, and, and this, this is where I want to be very careful about how I draw this. Because I don't think it is incumbent upon the GM or it is even a good idea for the GM to just bomb all the information on the players the split second. They want it because the players want think that that's one of those things. People think they want that. Yeah. And if you deliver it it's a crap game because there's nothing out there's sure. no you've eliminated the mystery in game two. If I, if I watch a batman movie i want to see batman win in the end mm-hmm. if you asked me do i want to see batman get his ass kicked my answer would be no but if the movie is nothing but batman winning and batman in charge and batman on top and it, ba- it's that twilight zone where the guy goes to hell and yeah he, it, know, he wins every pool not, game and stuff you, you know. know my problem with dark knight rises was not that Batman lost to Bane in the mid-fight in the middle of the movie. Now, I did have a lot of problems with that movie. But my problem with Dark Knight Rises was not, as Christopher Nolan put it, that he created a villain who could genuinely oppose Batman socially, intellectually, and physically. That, I, I think that, in principle, was a great villain. I, there's, I have a lot of problems with the delivery. But I think there has to be a sense... That on that journey, it's not per se that I'm getting everything I want, it's that I'm getting everything that I've earned. Mm-hmm. You know, if I get to a point where I am sitting across from someone who knows the answers, who has my best interests in mind, and I'm educated enough to know the questions and ask, that it is not so obvious that the GM is obfuscating purely for the sake of obfuscating. Right. They don't. I really like what you're saying there is that you should get what you earn. That You should
2: not take away from the players what they earn. I completely agree with that. Sometimes what
0: I run into, though. Yeah, talking to the potato farmer did not earn me the 5,000-year-old right. secrets of the dragon. Yeah, and if, if you're a player and you get upset about
2: that, the player's in the wrong. I completely agree. But if to—oh, I don't even know if I want to use the potato farmer. This might muddy the metaphorical waters here, but let's just use the potato farmer. What if on page 27 of my notes of this gigantic campaign that we're on game two of, the potato farmer is actually not a potato farmer. She's the spooky wizard who knows all that. And the players start questioning that. Maybe I drop one or two hints and, you know, that's smart. I game with smart people. Sure. I game with really smart people. And paranoid people. Thank you. Paranoid people as well. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, welcome. And both on smart and paranoid. Yeah.
2: Paranoid person is the one who lives. But the exactly. but let's say that the the potato farmer they really
1: are out to get you
2: or sell you potatoes. So the potato farmer, one or two of them, kind of key in that this guy might be more not knows more than he should, might be a little bit more than he should because I'm dropping little hints because I want to do the long sure. bomb play later. It was the potato farmer the whole
0: time. He talks about the great potato famine. And when you go and talk to the town's record keeper, you find out the potato famine what? was 150 years ago. Da. Yeah, it's like there's this guy shouldn't have been alive back then. So they circle around and they start,
1: secretly an elf.
2: They start putting the question to the potato farmer on game two that I have keyed to give all the information to in game thirty eight. Now, the metaphor is really bad. Because the ga- that game is too rigid. There's so many problems with that game. It is too rigid. It's too set in stone. There's not enough improvisation. The, yeah, the, you're, yeah. the game master is sure. giving too much away. The players are figuring too much out. You're screwing everything up. But let's try not to miss the forest for the trees here for a minute. Because what I'm saying is that the characters don't earn, like you're saying, the information. They stumble on it. They trip over it. That does not earn them the information. It might earn them a little nugget, but I think, again, we're working with paranoid and intelligent people at your game table, and so they might think that if they get this nugget that they are entitled to more information that you're not ready to give. I don't disagree with you that Game Masters, and I do this sometimes, that Game Masters will have the mysterious character. The mysterious character who says mysterious things that they sound pretty important, but I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. I know enough that I know I don't have the pieces of the puzzle to put the picture together yet. Yeah. I do that, but the reason I do that is because when I make a game, I work backwards. I think of the ending, then the characters make their characters in their situation. That's the beginning. And then they start playing the game, and then my job is to make all that stuff in between happen. I don't know how they're going to get to the end. I might have a couple of ideas for scenes I want things to happen. I might have a thread of a plot. I might have interesting NPCs that I'm salting in there and stuff. But sometimes they stumble upon an NPC that is not a planned one that is interesting to them. In the marketplace of ideas, again, the commerce sort of metaphor here, in the marketplace of ideas as a GM, you're throwing hooks out. You're constantly throwing hooks out. You're failing fast. You're failing often. NPCs are something that you throw out there that are interesting. One of the tropes of an NPC is the mysterious NPC. There's lots of the silly NPC, the drunk NPC, the happy NPC, the corrupt NPC, whatever. Mysterious NPC is yet one of them. Yeah. So I throw one of the hooks out, the mysterious NPC. They bite. They love the mysterious NPC. So I throw this, this hook out of the mysterious NPC, and maybe I have some connection. I have a little bit of connective tissue for the plot in there. Well, I don't have a fully formed insertion for that NPC into the mainstream of the plot yet, but the PCs they bought the hook. They're hooked, and I need to reel them in a bit with this mysterious NPC. So I have to make them mysterious. I have to yeah, make them okay. tap their so nose. L- I have to l- do, l- let's let s- some of the talk thing. about this in the because I'm doing that in our current game right now. That exact thing happened, l- Granny
1: Rags. I presume, Granny Rags. Yeah, for uh, those of you that. There's no harmless my wife's head fantasy. No, there's not. Those of you that aren't my wife's head, Granny Rags is a character that we went into her shop. No, no, you did not go into her shop. Her shop did not exist.
2: You were trying to get into a nightclub, had no f***ing clue how to do it, and you asked the question, well, are there any interesting businesses next door that we can ask them, how do we get into the club, basically, without saying, how do we get in the club? Yeah. So I threw out a mysterious, weird NPC.
1: Boy, oh
2: boy, did most of them hook into that. In fact, they all hooked into it. One of them went into the shop and it was so f-ing weird. It, I might as well put a turnstile at the door. They were all in there. They were all like exploring the shop. Totally invented whole cloth. Complete
0: invention. If I read a book, I am probably reading the story of one person. All right. Whoever that author was. Sure, there might have been editors or influencers or people on there. But for simplicity's sake, let's say that I am reading the characters and the ideas and whatever of one person. And even in the best pace of books, there's going to be a start where nothing is known, a middle where some is known, and an ending where everything is known, or at least everything that was necessary to resolve the plot or the the purpose of the book is... The introduction, the buildup, the climax, the resolution. Sure, right. But I think what matters isn't the fact that the author didn't tell me everything on page one. Because if we assume the author was working from notes, or even if they went back and did editing, then there was some point when they were looking at page one where they knew everything that was on page 350, right? They knew it all, okay? They knew the entire ending. So let's forget for a moment even the medium of gaming where we're making up bits of it in the middle we're filling in some of the blanks with improvisation and such you know the whole story okay even if you didn't when you wrote the first time certainly on your second third fourth pass you know the full story but nobody begrudges the author for the fact they didn't tell you the ending on the first page the fact that agatha christie didn't tell you the murderer's name as the title of the first chapter in books. In books, I've found the opposite true in games. <laughs> well, okay, that's because I think, and I'm going to get to that in a second, and I'm going to blame that on the players. Mm. All right, because It's always
1: the player's fault.
0: I'm not a player no, right now, so yeah. I'm I'm king of the jam party, so that's typically... <laughs> I good. think
2: you've been failing recently. I've been picking up your
0: slack. So the way that I interpret any other story that I experience, movie, book, TV show, whatever, it's not by deconstructing what literary tools they used it's not by saying well they could have told me this sooner and didn't it's by how i feel that i am being treated by the story you know is the story something where information's being revealed in a meaningful sort of way or is the information being hidden behind pointlessly cryptic unhelpful and obfuscating characters who just follow them the whole way through and know all the answers and never give all the answers for no plausible reason? You know, Do I feel simply frustrated by what they're trying to do? An example of where I think this was done very well is the, I think it was Jackie Chan and Jet Li movie, Forbidden Kingdom.
1: Ooh, love that one.
0: Yeah, and I, I'll go ahead and spoil it because it's been out for quite some time. But the punchline of the movie is that It's a very, very condensed retelling of Journey to the West, sort of mixed up with Neverending Story. It's an interesting tale they tell. But by the end of it, you find out that Jackie Chan is an immortal, and Jet Li is one of the subforms, he's like a hare, from Sun Wukong, who's... The Red-Eyed Monkey King in Journey to the West, major character in Chinese pop culture. I don't know how well understood or common he is within the West. At no point in that story did I feel like either of the characters were just pointlessly jerking everyone around. Yes, there were things they knew they didn't say, because in some case, they themselves didn't fully understand the details or because they knew that some harm would come from revealing it, or whatever. But it always felt like something that I understood why it needed to be done that way. And I think what you can get at a table is you get that impatience of the fact that people don't come in for the ride, they come in for the interaction. And I don't think that's wrong, role-playing games are about interaction. But I think players can take that too far, where they say, because I, as a player, am able to pull a lever, therefore I, as a player, ought to get the pellet, even if there is no in-game reason whatsoever for this to have occurred. And it requires this divided mind, where when you game, you have to see it as, yes, it is interactive story, underlying interactive, but also underlying story. Mm. That there are story elements and literary elements that are at work here, And just because the GM knows something on day one of the game does not mean that it is sensible or good for them to reveal it on day one. If you want that journey, if you want that two-year campaign of exploration of your characters and the setting and the emotional ups and downs, you got to cool your tits a bit. A little bit. I mean, you got to settle down and accept that, look, there are some literary elements that need to be in place here. But for the GM, what I'm trying to underline is there's a right and a wrong way to do it. My problem with No Man's Sky is not that they didn't tell me the story in a crawl on the boot screen. Mm -hmm. My problem is the finger-to-nose, smug-ass vagaries that I'm getting from NPCs who should be helping me. And, of course, it's doubly frustrating because in a video game, I can't go off script and ask the obvious questions. Mm. They don't. Uh, they just give me some pre-canned nonsense. And I find it in role-playing games that really, that's kind of the failure, is
2: the players don't ask the questions. Like they might grab one guy and and bombard them with a bunch of questions. This could be torture porn, unfortunately, but it could also just be working a contact. And they bombard them with every single question that they possibly have. And they want an info dump out of one character. And if you're writing a good game, you have multiple characters. They know different things. They have different motivations. They have different attitudes to the players. And the players, it's not that they're not asking the right questions. They're not figuring out who they should be asking questions of. And sometimes that's a player fault where they just want the info dump. I think a lot of times that's a game master fault. One of the problems that I have when I run a game, not just our game on Sunday, but or Saturday, any game, many of the games I've ran in the past is I don't know if I oversell or not, but I make my players afraid. Now, I don't run a John game here where, you know, people are going to die and their characters are going to die. You know, it's... A matter of nobody wants to investigate deeply because I have somehow made them afraid of what they're investigating. Maybe the plots get too big and they think, well, I'm just a level one house cat. I can't ask the king of the land what's going on. It's like, no, the whole plot is about you and the king of the land and his corruption. So you
0: absolutely have to go to the castle as your level one house cat and figure out what the hell's going on. What I've found has helped me to make this more palatable to my players is two things. One is to pace the information better. That there are some things where... You eventually do have to let go and give them the answer to the riddle. Mm-hmm. And maybe and the longer you hold
2: on to it, the more it builds up and will be an entire game session info dump, which is not much fun.
1: Right. And and also uh, unless it's like, oh, my God, amazing. It can also feel like a letdown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. If
2: your give is not amazing and you just hold on to it and hold on to it and it's that info dump and it's up, then, yeah, it's not going to go very well.
0: Well, and the second thing I would throw in there is, and, and once again, this is where I'm going to divide blame between the players and the GM, is I think it is incumbent upon the GM to communicate to the players some good reason why information's being withheld, and it is incumbent upon the players to to accept that as a facet of the story. And whether that is because this person doesn't know, or the person is misinformed, or maybe the person can't say. All right, let me go back to this tortured example we've been using of this potato farmer. Oh, this guy. And let's say you're talking to him about the 5,000-year-old dragon. And ostensibly, he's a potato farmer in his 30s, and he shouldn't know about anything that happened a long time ago. And he talks about... Well, the last time we saw the dragon emerge from his mountain was during the Great Potato Famine. And then you go and talk to the town's records keeper and find out that potato famine was 150 years ago. So you go back to the sky, okay? You now know something is up. And you walk in and you say, how could you have possibly known about this, especially in such great detail? And that's when you find the
1: stasis pod.
0: <laughs> you know, and I, you it could be something like, You go into his house, and you sit him down and say, how could you possibly know about this? And suddenly he realizes he's made a really stupid mistake and says, okay, yes, I'm a lot older than I'm telling you I am, but if I was to tell you precisely why you know, or how I got to be this old, then my life would be in jeopardy from the same dragon that you were trying to stop. So I cannot... Help you the way that I want to, but I can at least tell you you will find out a little bit more about the dragon's story and a little more about my story if you go to the great library of Candlekeep and ask them for a book being held under so and so's name, where they find a book of legends that happens to mention something about the dragon during the potato famine, or I don't know Mm -hmm. what, right? But it drops a few more clues. But I think what you have at least done there is you have communicated a plausible reason outside of being a smug jackass why this person won't tell them more. I hate style over substance, but in this one case, I got to say that the delivery, the style maybe really does matter a little more than the substance because it's not what you did or didn't give me. It's how I feel about what you did or didn't give me. Do I still buy into the ride? Do I still believe that the potato farmer is holding out on me? Or do I think Chad is just being a smug jackass? Right. You know, where am I drawing the connection there? I think that the
2: players need to have some introspection too here. I have had players try to question NPCs where it's like, okay, we want the information. We want this information. We're questioning NPCX, and we're going to just... Yell at him, and we're gonna whoa, and we're gonna like oh, if you don't tell us this stuff, we're gonna get even more angry and write angry letters. And I'm sitting there like NPCX doesn't like you, <laughs> has never liked you. In fact, you took a disadvantage that NPCX hates you. Why would NPCX ever tell you anything? Yeah, and it's like and I've had that multiple times. And the players, I have found players get discouraged. It's like okay, well, well we have a lead. And the lead says NPCX is involved. So let's question that out of NPCX. Like, wait, wait, no. The clue was NPCX was involved because NPCX is a bad guy who doesn't like you. As a game master, do I sit there and say, okay, well, NPCX is going to do a little bit of a face turn. And he's like, well, you're pretty brave for coming in here and killing 20 of my bodyguards to get to me. So maybe just this once, I'll give you a pass and tell you what you need to know. Or do I have my NPC X make a mistake? Because that's kind of like the obvious way out is like he, he accidentally drops a clue and he doesn't quote doesn't realize it. And I, I do it on purpose, which is great
0: as a great idea. Once or twice? Yeah, except, (laughs) and this is where it goes back to being incumbent upon the players. Mm -hmm. Yes, players should pursue these clues. Yes, players should follow those breadcrumbs. But to use one of my new favorite words, I I picked this up from my sister, don't perseverate on that to a point that it's unproductive. You know, okay, the, the NPC makes a slip up and says something they would not have otherwise said. I think sometimes players intimidate the GM out of doing that because the GM knows the moment Mm -hmm. they drop one clue. Yes, of course the players are going to follow up on it. They're going to ask some questions. They're going to push the NPC. They're going to apply some pressure, literally or figuratively. Mm -hmm. They're going to go back to the town record keeper and see what they can find out. Fine. That's exploration. That's story. That's how it works. But when they fixate on that one fact to the point that nothing else in the story moves forward, as opposed to saying, I mean, I've read mysteries. I've also played mystery games, mystery role-playing games, mystery video games. And sometimes you just have to take a fact and say, you know what? I have found a key, and I have not yet found the door it unlocks. I'm going to make a note over here I have this key, but for now we're going to file it away and do other things. Let's check the house next door and start a completely new thread and see where this goes. In role-playing games, players take the key and put it in every lock and
2: everything that isn't a lock, including a cat. I know. and Yes, and? (laughs) and,
1: and, and,
0: Again, I appreciate the enthusiasm. Well, okay, and this (laughs) leads me to this is going to be advice from the opposite side, but players hear this. You can make this better or worse, all right? This is Mm -hmm. primarily on the GM, but players, you can make this better or worse. And this is GM's, you have to pace this correctly. There are two ways to do it wrong. One is to hold everything until the bitter end. You pile question upon question. You never give any information. You leave them just confused as all hell. I don't know if anyone but me played the Xenosaga series of PlayStation 2 games. They could have been great RPGs, except the series was originally slated for six games. And so they apparently had mapped out the rate of inquiry versus discovery for six games. It got shortened to three. And so what happened is you ended the first game confused as hell. The second game, you got more confused with each passing hour. And the third game, continue, you got confused <laughs> more with each passing hour until about the last five or ten hours, at which point they story dump everything on you yeah. because they were missing the other three and a half games that were supposed to be there. And so that is a bad way of storytelling. It's frustrating to the people that are playing. They just feel lost. They don't know what to do. They feel frustrated. And of course, they're going to take a drill and pliers to anyone who seems to know anything Because they are desperate to learn something about the world. And that's good. Mm -hmm. That means you've caught their interest. They care enough to learn more. Like I said, I really do appreciate the enthusiasm. The other wrong thing you can do is to give them too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. Now I don't think that's game jer- two of the three hundred and seventy five game saga. I and that's <laughs> possible, but that's so rare. The potato I almost,
2: farmer is the dragon.
0: It, yes. Now
2: let's just masturbate the game for the next two years.
0: I think that though is so rare that that's really yeah. I don't. I haven't really encountered that to be honest with you. Yeah. I I think the more common one, and this is one that I. I'm still trying to struggle with a bit, though I think, once again, I'm getting better, is what you end up with instead is these info dump games yeah. where you hit a point where you finally track down an NPC or the Book of Legends or whatever it is where you have some source of information that is cooperative and knows quite a bit and is willing to talk and just dumps a huge amount of information all at once instead of pacing it out. A way that I tried to handle it in this most recent Skies of Glass game was the artificial intelligence with the group, Emma. She knows, not the whole plot, but she does know quite a bit. But right now, the part of her that's with the group is separated from her primary consciousness. Most of her information is elsewhere. So, I came up with some reasons that are internally consistent to the plot, where she's not being smug, she's not being evasive, she's being fully cooperative, but in the interest of not having her primary data center bombed, she doesn't want it being tracked, she's like, I can only keep the signal open for a really short window, I need you guys to give me about half a dozen questions, up to the players what these are, and that's all I can give you. Mm-hmm. And the players gave me a list of, I think it was seven questions. I answered those seven questions as fully and honestly and fairly as she was capable of doing within the confines of what she knows about the plot. And based on that, they were able to make some intelligent decisions about here's some places we could go for more information. Taking a drill to Emma's head is not going to get us any farther begging and threatening and cajoling and, and digging through the dirt all around this property is not going to get us any farther. But we have enough information. We're a little more educated. And based on that education, we know we can go to A, B, C, or D. And here we can learn more about some of the factoids we've gotten. We can expand on this. And so once again, it's that pacing. And that's coming from two sides. I, as the game master, gave them some info Without, it was a bit of an info dump, but it's certainly not the worst Mm -hmm. I've seen or even the worst I've done. It was kind of a catch-up. I mean, it's been like a two-year campaign. yeah. And so you combined it
2: with an info dump, but not a bad one, a good one, I think. And also a,
0: hey, you remember this two years ago? Yeah. This This is the connection. It also helped that Wayne remembered a lot of that. Yes. But, you know, at the same time, though, you guys as players took that and said, okay, we're going to disregard it and just, you know, be idiots in the wasteland based on. No, I mean, you guys didn't make an. I don't know if it's a choice I would have made, but right. you guys did make a choice that said, OK, based on what we know, here's somebody who could probably fill in not all the information, but more blanks. Here's somebody who could give us more bits of the story. And we can continue on from there.
1: All right. So let me take the potato farmer example and turn it on its head for a second. Okay. So the you've gone with the potato farmer is the dragon. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> let's turn that on its head. Potato farmer is not the dragon. The potato farmer is a different dragon. Mm. So the potato farmer is a silver dragon, for example. And you're trying to the a red dragon, a is russet dragon, and- <laughs> maybe. And the
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the other uh, one's a gold, a Yukon gold dragon.
1: I am just letting that lay there. <laughs> Bury it in the ground and right. uh, let it uh, grow a little bit. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so the uh, silver dragon suspects something more is going on, but doesn't actually know herself, himself, whatever you want to go with. Themselves. It, themselves. Thank you. So they send the players off on a quest to bring back more information so that, this way, the silver dragon is learning the same time as the players. This way, the silver dragon's not holding anything back. Your NPC contact is learning the same time as the players. In character, the dragon knows nothing,
2: but you know what needs to be asked, and you have the dragon say, go over there where I can't go. Yes. Some. So that actually ties into what, what my advice on this was going to be, sort of tools in the GMing tool chest. And it's something that I'm actually going to do this Sunday. They have a big thing that they're trying to, they're, they're trying to find a person. Nobody in the city knows where this person is. A whole bunch of people are looking for him. Oh, really? That's helpful. The, <laughs> okay, we got to leave the city. All right. Yeah, well, there's only one city. It's Duskwell. So they have to find this guy. Other groups are looking for this guy. Other groups have a head start. So they're way behind the eight ball, and they know nothing, right? No. Oh. So how do I keep the pace going? and not do info dumps on them and let them earn it. They're coming from a position, which is, I'm going to be real honest with you guys, it's partially your fault because you haven't been asking enough questions of enough, of a variety of enough people. You haven't been working your contacts enough. Wow, pot okay. kettle. I know, right? <laughs> hey, Gil's stupid in character. Okay. And Lee's an egotist. Uh, that was a SOG reference. Anyway, so what a game master can do in this theoretical situation that I don't know if I'm going to do on Saturday or not Is mentoring or this concept of mentoring? So they have a variety of contacts that like them. It's it's built into character creation in Blades in the Dark. Is that you pick somebody who hates you? I mean, this has this person has a name and they have a job and they hate you. They're your like rival or whatever. And then you have a person who likes you, who is your friend, your mentor, your whatever. And to figure out to basically catch up and then maybe overpass everyone to possibly find this. They have to start working their contacts, which is not something they've done a whole lot of. They've done a little bit of it. And through that, I plan on having a couple of the contacts mentor them, essentially. I mean, they're not like, oh, well, come here, Dale. Let me show you the way sort of thing. But it's more of a matter of they're going to sit down. They're going to say, we're looking for this guy. Where is he? The contact's going to look at him like, I have no clue. If I knew where he was, we would have him tussed up right here like a Christmas ham and it would be taken care of. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't even know who he runs with. I don't even know where to start. Have you tried looking in this direction? Have you tried taking it from this angle? Have you tried doing this, asking these kinds of questions to these kinds of people? I mean, I don't know anything about him, but it's where I would start. And I'm a veteran person who trained you up and helped you out. And you know you can trust me. So that way I can give them a variety of ideas. They can, if they want, choose one of them and pursue it. Every single idea points them in a direction I need them to go to, in my perception, advance the storyline. But it doesn't reveal anything. It doesn't spoon feed them anything. And it doesn't put them on the rails. It keeps them in control. It is just an idea that they can bounce off of and do. So their achievement is still their achievements, not me just throwing them an underhand pitch. So
0: there's something we talked about in a prior episode, and it's been long enough that I'll re-explain it briefly. And I'll also put a link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it. There was somebody who wrote a blog article that we really liked about something that they called the three clue rule. And what they said is that if there is something in your role-playing game that the party needs to know, don't rely on one clue for them to find it because it's too easy for them to miss it or to walk around it or not go in that room or to not understand the significance of it.
1: I was about to say, yeah, even if they do get it, like, huh? What's this? I don't get it. I had
2: literal muddy footprints walking from the crime scene in the direction of the guys they were looking for.
1: They literally went the opposite direction. Yes, but you see, the thing is, is that with those muddy footprints, you had stuff covering them up, which means... You moved them aside and I said they were there! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we moved the things aside, which told us that they have been there for quite some time. I said the mud was wet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and we didn't understand that because they were under things. If they uh, left, if they if they left, there, there was no footprint way. on the windowsill. There is no way those people they could have. Broke. Okay, well. Yeah, how could they toss the room after the footprints were there? How? How did they leave, leaving footprint, and then toss the room? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Okay, I- I'll recommend a good marital
0: counselor for you guys. <laughs> but. I'll just. <laughs> Break his character's arm next game. It's all right. But that's what the three clue rule is. Now, I think I'm going to add an extension onto that or use it at least in different contexts, which is when you're trying to advance the plot, you can still put four three clues, though maybe in this case it would be better to call them leads. You know, three leads. Mm -hmm. Okay, for example, in the Skies of Glass game, you guys were looking to learn more about this overarching plot that Emma was able to give you some information on. And you guys had, I mean, off the top of my head, at least three or four different places you could have gone to learn more. You could have gone to a guy who runs a covert intelligence network, a guy by the name of Dragon, or goes by the name of Dragon, who would have known is more. Is he a russet dragon? Yes. Excellent. And you knew precisely where this sweet, sweet dragon was. Mm. And another option, which is the one that you chose. In the Night Dirt. Was to go to one of Dragon's former employees who has less information, but a lot more reason to be forthcoming because she and Dragon had some kind of a falling out. You have the ability to try and get back to MS primary processing cores and talk to her full consciousness and see what it knows other. And there's some other ones I could lay out, but I'm especially for the people that don't listen to the AP. I'm not going to bore the audience here. But I did not give you just one lead right. forward. I gave you some options such that I think you didn't have to keep squeezing one stone for blood. Because I think one of the things game masters can do to themselves is if you only give your players one thing to fixate on. That's a railroad. Well, well, even if it's not a railroad, of course they're going to fixate on that well, one thing. They've got if, nothing else. I mean... I will argue it is a railroad in a way, though, because Uh, I guess so. Okay, you find a key and that's the only thing you found. You have to find what that key does. Well, because the game master is unless we're playing
2: like Fiasco or something like that. The game master is your window to the world. Yeah. So everything he presents you is the only thing your characters really know. Yeah. And if they're only presenting one thing on one path where you ask all the he lets you ask all the questions you want. And they're all wrong and they're all not answered. Okay, it's, then it's uh, well, a railroad.
0: Uh, yeah, it is a railroad. And I guess I'd go back to my much earlier point about now it's obfuscating, cryptic, and unhelpful. Right. Not to disagree with you, I I totally agree with you. It's worse than obfuscating. It's too helpful. There's no mystery. I, I I guess a better way to put it is it's obstructing not by virtue of blocking all paths, but by virtue of blocking every path but one. Right. That nothing you do but this will work, and therefore you are obstructed. And you, what is... You've lost any agency.
2: What is really super annoying about that is I've played in those games before, and... As characters, you try everything. You try every key. You try every lock. You ask every question of every NPC. You open every drawer. You use every skill. You use every power, every ability, everything, everywhere that has been presented to you, and nothing works And until you finally get to the last door, and it opens, and you walk through it. That is not a... Oh great. At last moment, that's a oh my God, we wasted four hours of
0: nothing. Yeah. It's
2: draining, it's tiring, it's anti-fun.
0: Yeah, it's coming home from a bad day of work. It is. To some extent, you feel happy to be home, but you still carry that stress of mm-hmm. eight or nine hours in a crappy place or however long yeah. you're there with you. The comment I want to close on it's another one about pacing, which is it's okay and indeed it's ideal. To gate these discoveries. What I mean by gating them is the moment you have begun revealing information, you don't have to keep on revealing information. For example, again, the players want an open floodgate. They think they want it open they, yeah, until they get it. Well, but let me give you an example. One of the things that I was thinking about in planning this next Skies of Glass game was, okay, you guys have opted to go south and to talk to Dragon's former employee, and you don't exactly know her story or what she knows or doesn't know and why she left and all that kind of stuff. So there's going to be a lot to learn there. And I was trying to map out, well, what is she going to say and what does she know and what will she want in return for that information and so on and so forth. And I was immediately jumping from Emma's Reveal to Blackbird's, that that's her code mm-hmm. name, Blackbird's Reveal. Potato Bird. Potato Bird. And I kind of realized in a little do it's like, why am I doing this? Now That's not to say I shouldn't plan out what she has to say. That's not to say I shouldn't think about what her role in this is. But they're going into a part of the country they have never seen before. That is under a government they have never directly encountered and they know very little about. That's going through a pseudo-industrial revolution they have not directly seen. That has ties to Jacksonville, whose name has come up a lot, but they've never even really indirectly interacted with. And it's like, my gosh, I'm opening up this whole new section of the world map. And I'm just going to run straight to the plot dump? That's not to say I need to get in your way. That's not to say I need to run interference and keep you from getting to her. But why would I not at least put some side plots and some other information and some world building and some other characters in there for you guys to encounter just because I started the info dump with Emma? doesn't mean we are now in a sprint to the end zone. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean we're now three games from done. Right. I mean, it could mean that, but I was artificially yoking myself with that when I realized that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, There's no rhyme or reason to it. So anyway, that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, check the show notes. I don't know I have a link to much except the three clue rule for anyone who's kind of new to the show and did not hear the episode we did on that. Uh, other than that you want to support the show patreon.com slash fear the boot or if you go to fear in the upper right there's a drop down list that says something like where you can find us or something to mm-hmm. that effect that is a whole list of all the different social media stuff we're on discord and facebook and twitter and whatever you kids are into nowadays <laughs> your kayaks so <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time potato we'll This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.